Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This is a chance for local people or people with a local connection to sit down and talk about what is going on with them in the Fishers community. This is a part of my local Fishers Indiana News blog that began in January of 2012. I started these podcasts in 2016 and have been going ever since. Now, here's the latest edition of the LarryInFishers.com podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This is the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I have with me Janet Chandler, who was the outgoing president of the Hamilton Southeastern Education Association, and Abby Taylor, who was the incoming president. So ladies, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. You're welcome. I would uh, like to start off with this. And Janet, one question I need to have the answer for from you. How many years have you been president of the association? Uh, over 30. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and I was vice president for three years, and I've had gaps in service. But uh, right. With that in mind, 33 years with gaps in service, uh, just give us a few uh pieces of information or your thoughts about the highs and lows you've experienced during those years? Well, like one of the things I've been proud of for a long time was um, our gender equity extracurricular salary schedule. Um, you know, when I first came, um, boys basketball coaches were paid differently than girls basketball coaches were. And in 1984, that changed. And so that's something that I'll always be proud of. Um, I'm proud of the advances we've made in salary over the years. We used to be um, one of the poorest paid districts and we're not the best paid, <laughs> but we're certainly not at the bottom of the heap anymore. I'm proud of that. Um, I'm proud that we've been able to, um, you know, take part in a lot of different activities that have elevated the profession uh, over the years. I think our political participation you know, I'm, I'm proud of that. I, I realize everyone doesn't agree with that, but um, I think that uh, uh, we have uh, been more helpful than harmful. So, Abby, let me uh, throw this question at you just a little bit differently. What do you see as you come into office as the most immediate challenges you'll be facing? I think um, a little bit of the political side of things. Um our jobs are political in nature. Um, and so just being able to navigate that with the community and the district together so that we can um, create a fair and equal opportunity for all teachers and students alike in the whole entire district. I think that that will be one of the biggest challenges we have facing us um, in this coming year. Um, yeah, I would say those are that would be the main thing coming up. Yeah, I and I I can certainly see that. And you know, you're both different teachers. Uh, you're a high school teacher and a uh, a chair of, of a department. Uh, Janet, uh, Abby, you are a fourth grade teacher. I know that sometimes Janet spends as much as half of her time on association business as a fourth grade teacher. Will you be able to do that? Yeah. So we have in our contract halftime release. And so I'll have the same time of, of the day or 
part of the day, halftime, to be able to do the association business when needed during that time. Um, and it's a flexible thing. In L- I mean, we have to figure out how, when we can do it, either in the morning or the afternoon. So it may not be as flexible as Janet's um, schedule is in the high school, but we at Lantern Road, I can tell you my principal has been really great in working with me and figuring out what would work best morning or afternoons. And if we needed to switch, she has um, in line ways that that could happen. So the association business will still get done. So Janet, I, I, you must be the queen of time management because you not only are a, a chair of a department, you have, have uh, you teach uh, at Hamilton Southeastern High School and you also have these other uh, programs that you take care of uh, that uh, are hours outside the usual classroom, such as We the People and uh, and also the courtroom, the uh, the the, MOOC, the mock court, I think is what you call it. So, uh, tell me how you manage. Your, have you been able to manage your time all these years? Well, it's probably helpful that um, I live by myself. I don't have much of a family, you know, left, and so. Um, but I still do fun things outside of school. I'm, I'm not just a school girl, <laughs> uh, but I am very organized, though if you look at my desk right now, it might not seem that way, but I know where everything is on it. <laughs> um, so I think organization and keeping a good calendar uh, is helpful. Uh, you know, this past year, you know, having so many meetings on Zoom has made it a lot easier, uh, not that everyone is you know, excited about a meeting on Zoom, but you can certainly get a lot more packed into your day um, if you're Zooming. And uh, the three of us are on Zoom today because we're all three in different locations. That seemed to make this all easier for all of us. Uh, Janet, let me stay with you for a moment because I know many teachers myself and everyone tells me this has been the most challenging year to teach students ever, no matter how long they've been in education. The COVID-19 pandemic caused so many disruptions, and I won't get into all the details of that now, but what are, are your teachers telling you about? And I, I ask this question because I think a lot of people in the community really don't understand why uh, this has been a very stressful school year for teachers. Explain why. Um, it's the synchronous teaching, what has made it stressful for most teachers Um, you know, we're so dependent upon that technology and um, on days when, as my projector did yesterday, snap, crackle, and pop, um, (laughs) and my whole screen went dark. And, you know, I I mean, it's just, uh, it can be frustrating at times that we're dependent upon something we really can't see, you know, that wireless connection or um, Wi-Fi, things of that nature. Uh, and I think that's what's made it stressful. And, and especially at the beginning, I think a bit of the unknown, uh, because teachers by, by nature, um, we don't really care for the unknown. You know, we like to direct the traffic of the unknown. And so when the traffic's directed for us or, you know, seemingly outside of our control, then that's stressful for people. So, Abby, let me ask you the same question uh, with in mind the fact that you are an elementary teacher, which may have its own challenges, but you obviously talk to teachers as you've been the vice president of the association uh, this during this time. What are teachers telling you about why it's so stressful this year? Definitely, to reiterate what Janice said, the synchronous learning is really what 
they struggle with and being tethered to this computer. So like teachers are movers and shakers, right? We get up, we get around the room, we're helping children however we can, especially in elementary. And a lot of times in high school, everything is hands-on. And so to get hands-on to a virtual student has made it very interesting of trying to you know, shift and change in the moment because we think one thing might work and then it doesn't and we have to shift it. And so I think it's just the unknown of what could happen with the technology. Also not being able to do what we know to be the best practices sometimes with virtual students um, and in-person students at the same time, because we have to be with both and do the best for both. And that's really hard. So you've got that computer in the middle of the room that uh, basically symbolizes one or more students. Plus you got the students in the room. That must be an extra stressor. Yeah. Well, it, my kids have gotten very good at just saying, I'm going to join zoom. I'm the person today. <laughs> I'll join with my, the, the, my virtual student. And they, they have been absolutely um, amazing throughout this whole entire thing. You know, we have always said students will change and adapt and persevere through it faster than adults. And they have, they really have, you know, grown in ways that we may not have ever seen them grow before, but, um, yes, it's been different, but they are different now because of this experience better. Let me stay with you, Abby, for this question. Uh, there are changes coming to the bus system. There's, there's going to be, there could be changes of student reporting time. The elementary students and and the high school students are going to switch. The high school students will be going later. The elementary will be we switching to earlier. So there's some big changes in the student reporting times, uh, class starting times, uh, school starting times, um, and there's some calendar changes. Uh, what are teachers telling you about these changes? How do they feel about this? I think it just goes back to the unknown. They don't know. So they're worried about what it will mean in the elementary to get up that early and leave earlier in the day. And the high school is worried because they're going to come later and leave later in the day. Um, and when will PLC happen? And when will staff meetings happen? And so it's, it's after a year of lots of unknowns, they're even, they're just on high alert of, you know, what is going to happen with this new change. And I think like we've told them all year, let it happen, see what happens, you know, be the positive person in the situation. And then if things don't work out, we can have conversations around that. So, so Janet, it's interesting that what really, uh, the motivator behind this has been in the works for years is that there is some academic uh, data out there that shows that high school students need more sleep. Uh, do you think you'll see any change in the way your classes go with uh, the results uh, of this change in, in the reporting times? Well, as a teacher who doesn't need a lot of sleep um, I, and who's always gotten to work at six o'clock in the morning, I, I'm not sure how I'm going to adjust. It, it will be interesting. I mean, we have noticed like when we've had two hour delays before, uh, of course, that's usually been a weather related reason. Uh, it, it's, you know, the kids are wide awake. Uh, whereas uh, sometimes in the morning, they're just not right now. Um, and so uh, I think it will be interesting to see whether um, 
you know, we solidify that research or not, there isn't really any research about the younger kids. And so, um, you know, our junior high and intermediate kids are going to be getting out at four o'clock. So they drew the late, the latest straw and, you know, the, the research, you know, like just it's anecdotal, like, you know, elementary teachers report that the kids get up with their parents. And so they've been up a long time when they get to school in the morning now. And so it'll be interesting to see how it works for them. All right, let me stay with you, Janet, because you've uh, negotiated a number of contracts locally with the, between the school district and the association. The General Assembly has now enacted a two-year state budget that, to a large extent, dictates the amount of money HSC schools will have over the next two years. There's also, of course, a, a referendum that was passed several years ago, which may come up again in a couple of years. But let's stick with what you're doing now. Uh, with the information you have about what the legislature has done, uh, I know you can't get into specifics, but ge- in general terms, what do you uh, expect as you go into negotiations uh, late in the summer over a new contract? Well, by law, we can't officially start bargaining until September 15th. Um, so we usually do get together in the summertime to kind of start laying some ideas out in a process that we call pre-bargaining. And we have done that ever since the law changed to limit us to September the 15th. Because as teachers, it's really hard uh, for us to teach all day and then bargain, you know, at night. And administrators also, they want to leave work at a decent time. And, you know, because of the, we have multi-level people on our bargaining team, you know, we can't get started until probably after four, you know, once the school day starts. And so, um, so we try to knock out as much preliminary work as we can in the summertime. You know, I have high hopes. I always do, um, you know, for, for a good contract. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll cross our fingers and, and hopefully that that will happen. And Abby, you made it clear to me that uh, Janet will be on your negotiating team, even though she won't be leading it this time as the president. But there is a different dynamic with this bargaining uh, because you're a no association president. Cecily Nunn is is the chief uh, financial officer where Mike Reuter had been for many years. And there'll be a new superintendent, Yvonne Stokes. With all these new players, are you still confident that uh, you can reach an agreement uh, fairly quickly? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we have a really good working relationship with um, district administration and um, I feel confident in the fact that Cecily, when she leaves, is going to give the information on to whoever her predecessor is, and it's going to be good. And I also have confidence in Dr. Stokes and her ability to lead us um, in our district uh, these coming years. And um, honestly, I just think, you know, we work well to, we have to work well together. So there really isn't an option of, you know, not coming together and figuring out the bumps along the way um, that will obviously happen in bargaining, but we will get through that. Uh, Speaking of Dr. Stokes, uh, Abby, have you met with Dr. Stokes yet? Yes, I have. So I've met her at the board meeting that she um, had when she was voted in. And I also worked briefly with her when I was working in IPS 
Uh, she was an assistant superintendent. We had a few discussion meetings together. Um, I, we don't like know each other super well, but we have a working, you know, knowledge of each other a little bit just from our time in IPS. Abby, let me stick with you here on this question. I'll, I'll ask Janet to weigh in as well. Uh, the student and parent response to the virtual learning option for the coming school year much lower than expected. I think it's like 180, which is a tiny percentage of the entire student body for HSC schools. Uh, of course, the uh, Indiana Online was going to do the high school students as a contractor. Lower grades would have been volunteers from your association. Uh, Dr. Borf told me the day that the final numbers came out, there happened to, to be a, a school board work session that day, and I asked him, where did you go from here? And he basically said, we're going to have to study this because the numbers are so low. So, Abby, do you think you're going to have, number one, well, do you think there's going to be a virtual learning option with that low number? And if so, I assume you have more teachers willing to teach it than you'll have students wanting to go into it. Yeah. I think that we will have the virtual option because we've offered it. And I think that we have people who are um, needing that option for their education. Um, what that will look like is yet to be really known. Um, as, as you know, like elementary will be maybe a little different than what was thought. Maybe they'll have to be multi-age um, classes. And that's not something you know, that teachers aren't able to do. We do that all the time with differentiation in the classroom to meet wherever our kids are, wherever um, they need to be met is what we do. So, and what we do well. Um, so I think, you know, next year with virtual learners, I think they will not probably go away. Um, and I think we'll be able to figure it out as we go. So, Janet, were you surprised at the low number of families wanting to be part of the virtual learning option? Well, you know, you think about it. On the one hand, we were surprised because we, you know, we had had so many conversations and discussion about, like, what this would look like. And, you know, that, like, it might, like a teacher, an elementary teacher might have to teach kids from more than one building. Well, that's going to be a definite now that that, that will take place. Uh, and I, I think it maybe speaks to the nature of society right now, whereas people want to just get back to the way it used to be. And so I think that you see that, you know, in kids and families, you know, wanting to come back to in-person learning because that's what they're most familiar with. And, you know, this has been a challenging year for them as well. So, Janet, just the feedback that you've received so far, have teachers been receptive to receiving the vaccine? I know there have been pockets of society who have been a little bit uh, cautious about it. Are teachers generally uh, open to getting the vaccination and receiving it? Well, I started sending out emails um, when the vaccine, like when it was talked about that it was going to be available and then um, I think I sent out 13 or 14 different vaccination emails all together, like with information as to where it was. And, you know, as, as and then when finally Governor Holcomb, you know, said teachers can get it. Um, so I, I learned about that national pharmacy program from the federal government, which I had not heard of before. And uh, so I learned lots of new things and I learned that teachers were desperate to get that vaccine because they would, we flooded the Kroger and Meyer websites um, 
trying to get it there. And, you know, then they would email back like, I can't get in. And just um, so I encouraged them to try late at night, early in the morning, you know, because I had been, it had been reported to me that success had been achieved that way. Mm. And so and the district was very supportive of trying to get teachers vaccinated. I will tell you that I have been contacted by teachers who don't want to be vaccinated. And so those teachers do exist in our system. Um, there's less of them than the ones who want to be vaccinated, but they do exist. What's been your experience, Abby? Uh, have you received the same feedback or anything different in your discussions with people who are teaching in the HSE system? Yeah, I mean, Janet's right. People who wanted it have now gotten it and they're feeling very confident about, you know, coming to school and it being safer. And, um, you know, it's just a it's there's a different feeling about the buildings um, since the vaccination was available to teachers. Let me uh, stay with you, Abby, but there's been a uh, uh, the role, there's been a discussion, I will call it almost a controversy here. It's been national and it's come down locally as well. The role of diversity and inclusion in education, um, as far as people challenging the curriculum uh, as it deals with race relations and all school systems and, and HSC included. Uh, Abby, does the association have any particular views on this issue? I think that our position is it's important to teach, um, you know, inclusion in the classroom and in the school buildings. Um, And we have curriculum in both levels or in all levels um, that we follow to make sure that we are following, you know, what the district has put out for us um, to teach in those classes. So I think we're supportive of um, social emotional learning and diversity for sure. Janet, would you like to weigh in on that? Uh, well, I think, you know, as a society, we've changed, you know, uh, maybe when I first came to Southeastern, we weren't having these conversations, you know, because Southeastern was a different place then, you know, so our, our school system has definitely become more diverse. And uh, I, you know, I think that there is definitely, definitely, um, you know, as a teacher, you want to make sure that every student in your room feels welcome and every student can find a place in your room. And so when I came to Southeastern, um, our student population um, was mainly white and our student population today is still mainly white. But um, at the time I came to Southeastern high school, there were two African-American students in the building. Um, You know, we have our percentages are much higher now. And then also we have added you know, um, a lot of uh, Latino students and a lot of Asian students, um, people of different religions that were not here at the time, you know, that I came to Southeastern. And so I think as teachers, we are obligated to make sure those kids see their faces and see their place in what's being taught. Yeah, you know, two observations on my part. You know, I moved here in 1991 and it was one kind of place here in Fishers on the HSC schools. By the time my twin daughters entered school in the late 90s, it was a very different place. And I think probably uh, they had a richer education for that. 
second, well, let me move on to something else here because I want to talk about budgets again in a different way. Uh, the school board uh, told administrators, we're told by the administrators recently in a school board meeting that this $5 million budget shortfall was caused by a lower student enrollment, which all school systems were seeing to some extent throughout the state, and some loss of revenue that's also related to the pandemic, interest rates, that sort of thing. The $5 million budget shortfall, there was a concern early on that that would require some kind of reduction in force, but due to retirements, people leaving for various reasons, and some state and uh, and some federal support, it appears that will not be required. So, Abby, does does that uh, give you a sigh of relief as an association president coming in? Yes, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I mean, I think it helps with class sizes. It helps with student achievement. Um, you know, when we can have the appropriate um, staffing in place, that's always a really beneficial thing for everybody involved. Um but yes, it is an extreme uh, sigh of relief that we have figured this out through. So, uh, Janet, was there concern amongst the staff members that there might need to be a reduction in force when it was clear this budget deficit was evolving? It was mentioned at a school board meeting, kind of at the end of the meeting, just in passing. And um, there are a lot of teachers that are watching the school board meetings now as must-see TV. Uh, <laughs> You know, if Netflix isn't working, then this is what you've got on on Wednesday nights. And so they heard that. And I kept getting questions um, the day after the school board meeting. So I sent out a clarification email because we had been working on RIF language. Um, And and so then, you know, we continued to inform um, the teachers about, you know, what was going on and, it took us a while to get to the RIF language that we have now because the, uh, the language that we did previously have was not compliant with changes that existed. And so we had to get it updated before, obviously, you know, a RIF could happen. But we're both very thankful. We're all very thankful that a RIF is not happening. Yeah, having been both a manager and a union official at the federal level, I can tell you I was surprised that the RIF procedures that are in the federal government are very very, very similar to the ones you might have, although they always have to be tweaked. And you made a comment about how a tiny difference in an evaluation could make a difference. Fortunately, that did not uh, come to pass. You never had to worry about that. Jenna, let me start, stay with you for a moment. I'm going to hear from each of you on this because your association is involved in a number of things within the community and elsewhere within the teaching community, but the general community. Tell me what the association is doing in the community that maybe residents are not aware of? Well, in a couple of years ago, I've been wanting us to participate in Spark Fishers or, you know, the Freedom Festival, whatever it was. And it never seemed to work out because of a conflict with our national meeting. And so then, like with the calendar shift a couple of years ago in 2019, uh, we did participate. We had a booth and um, we partnered with Barnes & Noble and we gave away uh, gift cards, we gave away books, and uh, you know, we're able to connect. Both Abby and I worked uh, shifts at, the, uh, at Spark Fishers, and we are so excited to be able to do that again this year, and just you know, to be able to connect with the community in a different way. 
Anything come to mind for you, Abby, in that regard? I think um, one thing that we do that's really amazing is anytime that there's a board race, we have a forum and we um, have all of, we invite all of the candidates to come and talk about their um, opinions about things. And um, it's really an an amazing thing because I was in IPS 10 years and that did, we didn't do that in IEA. Um, And so when I came to HSEA, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, this is what the the community wants to know these things. And it's not always easy to, you know, get all the people together in the right spots, but we are able to do that. And we provide a video and we put it on our website for people to view that may not be a a part of our organization, but can view these answers from all the candidates. And I think it's a, you know, a civic duty that we do uh, vote in school board things. And it's a civic duty for us to, you know, provide information to um, our community. Abby, a final, I have a final question for each of you. Abby, I'll start with you. Uh, I try to ask questions that are relevant. I'm sure I didn't ask everything. Is there anything that uh, you would like to add before we wrap this up? I think I just want to add, like, Janet is a tough act to follow, um, but <laughs> she's been doing it for so long. Um, but I am really excited to um, take this role on and give it my all to everything um, that HSEA is and is to become um, in the future. Janet, your chance on that question. I'm also excited that Abby is taking this for a lot. <laughs> and, uh, you know, because when I, uh, I, there was a period of time, you know, when I was in getting further schooling that I stepped back from the presidency. And since that time, like I was so focused on the schooling and then my classes I was teaching, I, I haven't had a break, <laughs> you know? And so um, it'll be interesting to see like how this works. And people have said to me, what are you going to do with your free time? And, and my experience has always been anytime I've given something up that something else comes along to fill it. And so uh, I'm excited for the next chapter as well and excited to support Abby um, as she furthers uh, the association. My thanks to Janet Chandler, the 30-plus year uh, officer with the Hamilton Southeastern Education Association. Uh, She's exiting stage left, stage right is Abby Taylor. She's the incoming president of the association. Uh, So I would like to thank uh, both of you for being here. Appreciate very much uh, you taking a little time out of your busy schedules to, uh, to talk with me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Larry. Thanks for listening to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. If you like the podcast, please let others know. You can find it on most platforms where you go for podcasts. Just search using this phrase, Podcasts by Larry Lannan, L-A-N-N-A-N. Also, if you listen on a platform such as iTunes, please take a moment, rate and comment on my podcast series. So thanks for listening, and please be safe and be kind. <music>